Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us. It's the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got your stool ready for you here, and we've got good, bad, and crazy martinis. President Biden's going to yell at us all this afternoon because, you know, none of this is his fault that we've got another wave of COVID going around. But we'll talk about that a little bit more in the bad martini. Our good martini today is more bad news for the Democratic Party. It's kind of fun how how that works out. Yesterday, of course, we were uh, regaling and Joe Manchin saying he's done on Build Back Better, at least uh, the version as it presently existed. And maybe for longer than that, because you would think if there was still hope on the Democratic side, they would have been nice to him when he said that. Uh, but no, they nuked him. We talked about what Jen Psaki said, what members of the squad and other folks have said. They feel betrayed, and he you know, went against his word, and on and on and on. Uh, Pramila Jayapal of the House Progressives, very, very upset with Joe Manchin. They had a not-so-good phone call, I guess, yesterday or maybe Sunday. But now it looks like the Senate Democrats are going to take a hardball approach to Joe Manchin, because apparently they weren't already doing that, Jim. This is from The Hill. Senate Democrats signaling they plan to take more of a hardball approach to pressuring Joe Manchin to support their climate and social spending agenda after months of a kid glove treatment failed to deliver his vote. Is that what you call that? Democrats are well, no one chased him into the bathroom yet. So. <laughs> That's true. Democrats are threatening to drive a wedge between Manchin and his many lower income constituents who stand to reap billions of dollars in federal benefits if Build Back Better passes, including an enhanced child tax credit, lower Medicare negotiated prescription drug prices and subsidies to cover the cost of child care. And uh, Schumer still again uh, saying he's going to put this to a floor vote, even though he knows it's going to fail, which is awesome because now we have all the Democrats on record. So, uh, Jim, I'm not sure what they thought was the kid glove approach that seemed pretty hostile, at least uh, from you know the far left of the party. That didn't work. Uh, now he's not uh, apparently planning to show up necessarily for today's caucus luncheon because it doesn't feel comfortable there right now. And so what is the Democratic strategy here? Is it to to force him out of the party so they can say, ah, he was never one of us from the get-go? Or is it to try to, to beat him down? Because he just said, the more you harangue me and beat me down, that's not going to work. So what are they trying to accomplish here? And how good is this for us? Oh, Greg, your first mistake is to assume that there's a strategy here. <laughs> um so we, should, we should probably should point out that Biden and Manchin did speak after Manchin's appearance on Fox News Sunday. And Manchin has indicated that he's open to continuing efforts after the new year. So he's not you know, saying there could never, ever be a deal on something kind of like Build Back Better. But he said that he forever, he just cannot support this version of the legislation. And he doesn't feel like it's going anywhere and he doesn't want to string people along. He feels he's been very clear in what he wants, particularly in terms of paying for all the expenditures in the bill. And Democrats have simply responded with budgetary gimmicks that don't really address his concerns. Uh, I think, I, I thought about this yesterday. There is no doubt that getting mad can feel good, right? People have talked about sometimes, some people even, you know, get a, a little endorphin rush, you know, you're rageaholic, right? You're, you're, you get really mad, you turn from Bruce Banner into the Hulk. And uh, and then your your body gives you a little cookie. Your your body gives you makes you feel good. Oh, I really let out all that anger. Or something. But it very rarely gets us where we want to go. And in this particular case, has getting mad at Joe Manchin persuaded him at all? No, it appears it is not. All those protesters outside his houseboat, things like that. 
And then you start thinking, you know, conservatives have been really, really mad at Joe Biden for almost the entirety of his presidency. Are there any cases, Greg, we can point to in which we can say conservatives have successfully persuaded Joe Biden to change his mind? No. Right? I mean, they're few and far between if you can find any. I think it's a very similar dynamic during the previous presidency under Donald Trump. Liberals were beside themselves with rage at Donald Trump pretty much from the moment he descended the escalator, but certainly every moment that he was in office, did they pressure him to change his mind on anything? No. In fact, in almost all those cases, he dug in his heels and he had like, he enjoyed owning the libs, cry more lib, all that kind of stuff. Like Generally, the more the angrier you got, the more the other side just simply enjoyed it. Uh, you can go back to Obama. You can go down, you know, Pelosi. They're the most political leaders do not really respond to anger. They really do not respond particularly to people who have always opposed them or they've always seen the world a bit differently than them. Um, I, I don't think Joe Manchin cares if Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Ilhan Omar are really mad at him. I don't even think uh, Joe Manchin cares that much if Chuck Schumer is really mad at him. I think Joe Manchin's real only concern is if the people of West Virginia are mad at him. And really, the, only, the next time he's going to need to worry about that is 2024. So all in all, like you, know, you, you can, you know, protest, you can store, you can threat, you can have the vote in January that Chuck Schumer is threatening to have. Now, again, as I mentioned before, I'm curious about whether he has this before the January 12th reveal of the inflation numbers for December or after the January 12th reveal of the inflation numbers for December, because the odds are really good that those numbers are going to be bad. And so, you know, do you feel like you know, Democrats feel more pressure to pass this legislation when the inflation numbers are looking terrible or less pressure? I think they feel less pressure. I think that it's easier, not just for, for Manchin uh, and maybe uh, cinema. I wonder if Maggie Hassan up in New Hampshire wants this hung around her. I wonder if uh, Mark Kelly in Arizona, maybe even Raphael Warnock, it's just going to be they're going to end up taking a vote on a giant thing of spending. And you're going to see all kinds of Republican ads saying, you know, Mark Kelly voted for, you know, legislation that even Joe Manchin thought was too far to, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you don't get the bill. You don't get that much help. You do something that's antagonizing to certainly antagonizing to Republicans, but is not very popular amongst independent voter centrists, all that kind of stuff. All the Democrats are doing is making life harder for the purple state senators and, and in order to placate the rage of their very liberal grassroots. There is no strategy behind it. It's probably going to blow up in their faces. Greg, all I can say is pass the popcorn. <laughs> That's going to be fantastic popcorn. And Biden was perfectly suited to not be, uh, you know, acting at the whims and all these other Democrats acting at the whims of the far left when they dispatched a Bernie Sanders in the primary last year. And instead they adopted their agenda. And now it's the far left uh, kind of driving the bus on these policy initiatives. And you know, I don't know all the details, Jim. I'm sure you saw this as well, is that Manchin was willing to go along with expanding Obamacare, uh, pre-K, even some climate stuff. He didn't like the child tax credits, and he's not a fan of the uh, the family leave. Um, and he was still planning to talk to the White House. All he said was, don't name me personally. And anything's, you know, talking about frustration. So what did they go do? Named him personally. And now he's holding up the whole deal. Boom! And we're on a holding pattern, at least, if not uh, uh, on a long-term holding pattern. But I have a feeling they're going to try to resurrect this in some way in, in 2022. It won't be this version, but uh, something something else will come because they know what is coming at the end of next year. All right. Speaking of inflation, you mentioned those numbers are going to be coming out again on January 12th. The stock market 
uh, can certainly be volatile. Uh, the current administration uh, definitely looking to increase taxes where it can, if it can get 51 votes to do that in the Senate. Uh, it's not being real tough on China, and it's lied about inflation and spun it and just uh, given you 15 different versions of what that inflation actually means. But um, that might make you long for the economic record of the previous administration when we had uh, unemployment we hadn't seen since the, the late 60s. Yeah, remember that? Uh, well, Universal Coin and Bullion is offering a one-ounce pure silver tribute coin featuring America's 45th president, Donald J. Trump, at their cost. You can get a pure one-ounce silver coin featuring former President Trump at the same price that Universal Coin buys it from their vendors. Throughout history, silver and gold have been a hedge against inflation and a guaranteed asset that you can turn to when times are uncertain. And with Joe Biden as president, Kamala Harris as vice president, well, uncertainty doesn't seem like it's going anywhere for a while. So diversify your portfolio and add a pure silver Trump coin to your investments now. And the postage is also free on that. So call Universal Coin at 1-800-UCB-GOLD. That's 1-800-UCB-GOLD. Their professional staff, led by America's gold expert, Dr. Mike Fulgens, also the 2021 Coin Dealer of the Year, are waiting for you to call at 1-800-UCB-GOLD to get your pure silver President Trump tribute coin at dealer cost. All right, Jim, let's talk about our bad martini now. And we just learned yesterday that the dominant variant of COVID in the United States is now Omicron. Uh, I think it's about three quarters of the uh, of the recent cases. Some areas are seeing record high number of cases. But as you've pointed out diligently, especially the past few days, but really for months now, it's not about the caseload, people. It's about the hospitalization rate and the death rate. Uh, and let's not try to confuse those two. But given the fact that case numbers are clearly on the rise, People want to know if they have COVID, especially if they're feeling some symptoms. But getting those tests is proving to be very difficult. You do an excellent job in today's Morning Jolt, Jim, of chronicling how this is happening all over the country. Philadelphia had people lined up for hours only to find out that they quickly ran out of supplies. Uh, New York City, Washington, D.C., Columbus, Ohio. Nationwide chains are running out. Very, very hard to get the test. This is something, uh, you know, getting tests to every American that Jen Psaki scoffed at not too long ago. Uh, in today's Morning Jolt, you put a lot of blame on the FDA. Uh, so explain why you think we're at this point and why the FDA deserves the blame. Well, the first thing I recognize, dear listeners, that I'm never, I'm, I have never pledged to be a certified ray of sunshine and that sometimes it can be very hard. <laughs> this is one that's hitting hard um, on, on the, the Garrity home front. So we have somebody in our family who's uh, fighting cancer and they're doing okay, knocking on wood. But, you know, people who have somebody who's particularly immunocompromised. And my guess is that there are a lot of families all across the country where somebody's got an immunocompromised, maybe grandma and grandpa are getting up there in years. Um, you know, you, you have somebody in your family with comorbidities or, or something like that. For whatever reason, even though they're boosted, even though they're vaccinated, you just would rather have that extra degree of protection. And for the past month, the Biden administration has said, if you're getting together for the holidays, one way to make sure everyone is safe is to get tested. Great idea. Fine. We'll go out and do it. Never mind, by the way. The tests are, you know, usually about 25 bucks each. Uh, they come with two. They want you to take one, and then they want you to take another one like a day later, just to you know. And yes, they have an error rate. No testing system is going to be perfect. But now, let's assume you have, and you've got X number of people in your family who are going to be getting together. Well, then all of a sudden, maybe you need six, you need eight, you need ten. All of a sudden, you're spending quite a bit on getting these, uh, getting these uh, instant tests for COVID. 
Well, that's that was assuming you could find them. And now you cannot find them. Certainly, apparently, the entire greater Washington, D.C. area, Virginia, Maryland, uh, all the way up the East Coast, all the way up to New England. There have been a lot of cases lately and people who are uh, trying to be responsible, people who are trying to say, you know what, I just want to make sure that we uh, you know, don't have somebody who's positive right before we all get together for Christmas or right before we all get together for Thanksgiving. Um, we're going to have a party or something. Let's everybody go out and test it. And no, now, of course, no one can find them. And apparently they're, the good news is various cities are trying to set up uh, uh, testing centers. New York City's got them. But the lines are incredibly long and they're running out of supplies even for those. So we have this situation which the administration has been saying, get tested, get tested, get tested. But before they did that, they didn't bother to check if there were going to be enough tests. And if you feel like, well, maybe they just ran out all of a sudden. No, no. In fact, the CDC had reported, you know, all given a specific notice to, to the entire medical community. Hey, we have a shortage of both uh, in, in lab tests and the instant tests uh, back in September. The New York Times wrote about it in September. Reuters wrote about it in October. Uh, ProPublica had this terrific in-depth story in November. This has been clear all fall and the whole time. What have people been saying? They've been sending that Game of Thrones meme. Winter is coming. We knew with cold weather, people would be spending more time indoors and the virus would be spreading faster. We knew this was an issue. Everybody knew we needed more. Now, of course, the White House is saying, well, we're going to have a whole bunch of new tests. We'll send them to any American who wants one starting in January. Well, great. That doesn't do us a heck of a lot of good for the holidays that are coming up. Um, it is a... Really, and then of course you think, so why are we have this shortage? We're two years. Actually, we're more than two years into this pandemic. Why is it taking so? Why are we? Why do we have this shortage at this point? Well, the short answer is, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration uh, is exceptionally slow at approving at-home test projects. Apparently, there have been um, at one point they had a hundred uh, submissions in there. And look, maybe these tests really aren't. Uh, there's something about them that isn't quite up to snuff or the FDA wants them to work better or they're worried about the accuracy or something like that. And uh, yeah, but there's a school of thought, by the way, that says you can sacrifice a bit on accuracy if you can get them to everybody, because if you end up with, because then somebody just goes out and you get, if they're, if they're plentiful enough and you have an inaccurate test, you go out and get another one to confirm. If you get one negative, if you get one positive and the next one's negative, maybe you don't have COVID-19. So there's some argument who says getting a lot of tests into people's hands are actually more important than the accuracy of the test. Now, obviously, we don't want people walking around with a lot of completely inaccurate tests. So I, I can understand some scientists disputing that. But I think what, what these scientists were saying, what these companies were saying to ProPublica is that they submit it, they hear nothing. Sometimes they get requests for more information and told they have 48 hours to, to comply uh, or else they'll go back to the to go to the back of the line. And they have extremely long waits and then they get told no. And their sense is that like, if you're going to tell us no, tell us no quickly so that we can go back to the drawing board and address whatever aspect of our testing system you think isn't up to snuff. And they just found this extraordinarily infuriating. And the end result is that as there are 12 tests that are accepted here in the United States, nine of which I believe are available over the counter, but of course you can't find them anywhere. But we're all over in Europe, they've got 39. European agencies, yeah, I don't see people keep, well, okay, you know, Europe, Europe has its own problems, but it's not like you see the, the European uh, uh, you know, equivalent of the FDA being a bunch of maniacs. And they have, you know, I have relatives who are living over in, uh, over in Europe and they say they have tests everywhere. And that's one of the ways they're keeping it under control under there. So 
in this circumstance, I know for the first couple of months, the Biden administration likes to say, oh, look at what he inherited. He has so many problems. The Trump administration didn't know what they're doing. Okay, well, it's now getting towards the end of December of your first year of presidency. It's now on you, President well, President Biden. It's now on you, Biden administration. If you guys had said back in the you know spring or summer, we need to have lots and lots of tests available for you know, fall and winter, it could have happened. It did not happen. And now you're, you know, kind of like in those first couple of months of the vaccinations where they said, go out and get yourself vaccinated. And nobody could find an appointment because supplies were low. We're in the exact same situation with tests. Thanks a lot, President Biden. Jim, do you think it's perhaps a factor of putting so many eggs into one basket? In other words, we haven't heard a lot about monoclonals. Uh, we didn't hear a lot of focus on testing. It's because the entire focus, not that it shouldn't have been a focus, but the entire focus has been on vaccinating first time, second time, and now the third time, instead of having this broad-based approach of, okay, here's what we can do if you have it, so uh, we can treat you and you haven't been vaccinated yet or, or just need treatment in general. Uh, or uh, we need to have these te- you know, multifaceted approach here instead of just laser-focused on one thing all the time. Yeah, and here's, I will recognize, I could see somebody saying, look, Jim, one of the reasons people are skeptical of the vaccines is their sense that it was rushed. They don't trust it. If you're telling the FDA to work faster, don't you think that would exacerbate people's concerns? I, I suppose so. I, I've been st- always been stuck by something that Marty Makari, who's a, a you know medical doctor, is over at Johns Hopkins, and he's done a lot of commentary during the course of the pandemic. And he's been frustrated with the FDA for a very long time. And he made the argument back when we were, you know, it seemed like it was, t- they were taking like a month or so, sometimes six weeks for them to approve the vaccines. And everybody's like, well, you know, Pfizer says it works terrific. Moderna says it works terrific. Why are we not getting these into our arms yet? And Marty McCary said that you could basically do this within like a, a weekend. There, there's really no, that you, you look at the data, you review it, you get everybody. There's really no reason for it to take four weeks for you to, to review a big stack of submission papers particularly considering this when stakes are life and death and you're dealing with a global pandemic. And that's, I think, what's really frustrating about this is how much, you know, look, I mean, we all want, we don't want the FDA to cut corners. We don't want them to rush through their duties. We know it's important to make sure this stuff works the way it's supposed to. But there's a pandemic going on, man. We've all been living at DEFCON 1 for the better part of two years now. Like time is of the essence. And it, you're right, the, the, I, the FDA did just approve two treatments um, that are from there. But again, I believe they were submitted at least a month ago. I mean, it's just, you know, there doesn't seem to be any deriving sense of urgency here. And I suspect that this, is, you know, and you can, you know, as much as this administration loves to blame the private sector for everything, right? Gas prices are the fault of oil companies and Jen Psaki's talking about meat conglomerates. And uh, <laughs> so this morning, you know, Pete Buttigieg was talking about uh, lack of childcare is why we've got a supply chain issue and all this stuff. You never hear, you know, first, you never hear the administration say, yeah, this is our fault. The other thing they never say is, yes, this is the federal government doing a bad job at its duties. And right now, the Food and Drug Administration is doing a bad job at its duties of getting tests approved so that tests can get manufactured and distributed out there. So you're, they're leaving, you know, uh, Rochelle Walensky at the CDC out there on a limb where she's saying, go out and get yourself tested and Americans can't find any tests. Yeah, very, very frustrating. But you know what is approved, Jim? The Moink box. Yeah, it's not... <laughs> It can't cure your COVID, but it'll make you feel a lot better. Absolutely. There's nothing you're not going to like inside the Moink box. In fact, uh, tonight, this very night, Mrs. Karumbas is uh, cooking the whole chicken that comes in the Moink box. So we're very excited uh, to see how uh, that turns out. 
always, always delicious from inside the Moink Box. And not only are these phenomenal products, Jim, but they're cultivated the right way on family farms caught by independent fishermen. So they they give you a great product and they do it ethically. Greg, I believe the words you were looking for there were, mmm, meat good. <laughs> Which is all you really need to say. But let's also not forget to mention that Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon direct to your door, helping family farms become financially independent outside of big agriculture. Their animals are raised outdoors, their fish swim wild in the ocean, and Moink meat is free of antibiotics, hormones, sugar, and all the other junk you find pre-packaged in the meat aisle. With Moink, you get the highest quality meat you've ever tasted while supporting real family farms. You can sign up at moinkbox.com martini to get a year of ground beef for free and then pick what meats you want delivered with your first box. Change what you get each month and you can cancel anytime. Do you know how much meat costs right now? A year of ground beef for free is worth this deal all by itself. And so, like I said, uh, everything I've ever had out of Moink Box is absolutely delicious. Uh, And you can join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash martini right now. And listeners to the Three Martini Lunch get free ground beef for a year. That's one year of the best ground beef you will ever taste. But it's only for a limited time. Spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash martini. That's moinkbox.com slash martini. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. And honestly, the numbers are good for Republicans. The latest poll from Marist uh, polling, Marist College, in conjunction with PBS NewsHour and NPR. So, you know, they're not cooking the numbers in a way that uh, are are damaging or unfair to uh, Democrats. But the overall approval number for Joe Biden, 41 percent, 55 percent disapproved, 3 percent not sure. Here's where it gets amazing. Uh, among white people, this is national adults, 56 percent disapprove, 40 percent approve. Latinos, 65% disapprove, 33 approve, a two-to-one margin. Now, we always have to throw in the caveat, Jim, this is about what you think of this president. It's not necessarily an indication of how they'll vote in any election, but when the number's that lopsided, you have to wonder, Jim, and we talked a couple of weeks ago about polling showing that a lot of Latino voters, especially those who had come from Cuba or Venezuela or something like that, they didn't like this uh, movement towards socialist ideas that the Democrats were throwing out there over the last few years. And that's why they've gravitated or stayed with Republicans. But now we're not just seeing things kind of even up here. We're seeing a massive shift potentially to Hispanics, which if this is accurate and not just a, a, a quick snapshot could be a titanic shift in American politics. Greg, if I am not mistaken, this appears to be the first poll that shows President Biden more popular amongst whites than Latinos. And I don't know about you, Greg, but I'm really fed up with this white supremacist president. (laughs) And in fact, on behalf of all of my Latino brothers and sisters, I am tired of the man keeping me down. Okay, not necessarily. Maybe I wouldn't do far with that. Um, This is really intriguing. And I think you're right. We probably shouldn't overestimate one particular poll result, but we should keep an eye on this in future polling, um, in part because this is a, and one of the more intriguing theories is is that um, Barack Obama was just a phenomenally talented politician. You don't necessarily have to agree with everything he did to recognize when it came to getting out on the, tr- on the stump and campaigning and, and relating to people and using media, he was really good at this, much better at this than Joe Biden is. I don't think there's anybody's gonna, too many people are going to dispute that. 
And if you use Cuban Americans as an interesting measuring stick, Barack Obama ran almost even amongst Cuban Americans in 2008 and 2012. In fact, in 2012, I believe Romney's advantage amongst Cuban Americans in Florida was like 50% to 47%. So well, yeah, Romney was still winning, but if you if you are a Democrat and you can keep it almost you know an even split amongst Cuban Americans in Florida, you're going to win the state. And Barack Obama won Florida twice. Donald Trump won Florida twice, and in fact, last time he won Florida by about one percentage point in. Uh, uh, 2016. And we should point out that because Florida is a big state with a lot of voters, one percentage point is actually a lot of votes. Um, and then the second thing is that he won by even by several percentage points in 2020 and it was an even wider margin. Democrats were not expecting that. And a big reflection of that was this significant shift amongst Latino voters. Not you know, Cuban Americans, yes, but as you know, also Venezuelan Americans, Guatemalan Americans, basically anybody from Central or South America who'd had an experience with socialism responded pretty strongly to the socialist, uh, the, the arguments that the Democratic Party was becoming the party of socialism. That even if Bernie Sanders had not won the Democratic nomination, the Democratic Party as a whole, their vision of the role between the government and the citizenry was inching closer and closer to what we would characterize as socialism. Uh, Democrats insisted it wasn't true. Latinos did not believe them. And it wasn't just there. It was also intriguingly along the, uh, uh, the, the border counties in Texas. We were always a pretty good, good chance that Donald Trump was going to win Texas. But there was a uh, the, the idea that he would do this well amongst Latinos in these counties was another giant red flag, no pun intended, when it comes to socialism and red flags. Um, you put this all together and it's an indication like I think in the end, Latino or Hispanic voters, they're very pragmatic. They vote on results. A lot of them are small businessmen. A lot of them are Catholic. And you could argue there's a, a, a resonance of social uh, conservative values there. But I don't hasn't always shown up for other candidates and other races. I think in the end, the state of the country is not in great shape. So Latino Americans are as disappointed as anybody else with the state of the country. They thought the pandemic would be over and the pandemic's interfering their ability to make a living, support their families, things like that. Um, they probably are not thrilled about supply chain problems. They probably are not thrilled about vaccine mandates complicating finding workers uh, for their businesses and things like that. So you add all this up, well, the virus is not shut down and chunks of the economy are, are you know, if not shut down, then they are severely hampered by inflation and the supply chain issues. And the country is actually shutting down in parts because of the, uh, the Omicron pandemic. Biden has not delivered in his promises. And I suspect that Latinos and Hispanic voters are probably going to be as at least as sensitive to that or probably even more sensitive to that than any other demographic. Yeah, some other interesting news here. Uh, first of all, shout out to Gen X, as always for being the most negative uh, age group uh, towards Joe Biden. 64 disapproved to 33% approving. Only the silent generation, over 74, slightly giving him uh, a net approval, 48 to 47. The big well, thing- They're easy on him because they relate. <laughs> I guess so. As far as- where... He's half asleep half the day, but then again, so am I. So who am I to judge? <laughs> As far as where people live, he's underwater with everyone, including big city uh, residents, which makes me think they don't think he's doing enough for, for the liberal cause. But suburban voters still uh, give him plus two, 49 to 47. Look at this divide, Jim. Men and women, big divide in the poll already. But suburban men, 62, 34, disapprove. Suburban women, 57, 41, approve. So that's going to be your battleground, uh, especially for control of some of these House seats and maybe the next presidential election. Keep an eye on it. Some tense conversations in the suburbs, you think, huh? <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Anyway, quite a day. Jim, we'll do it again tomorrow. See you then. 
See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell a friend about us as well. We're very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Uh, please get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and please join us Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, this is Greg Corumbus, and I'm here with Dr. Mike Fulgens. He's the president of Universal Coin and Bullion. Mike was recently named the 2021 Dealer of the Year by the American Numismatic Association. Mike, if people are interested in purchasing gold or silver coins, they're going to have some very basic questions in mind. First of all, they want the best possible deal, but they also, of course, want to know that what they're getting is the genuine article. So what's the best way for anyone listening to ensure that they do make the right purchase in this area? The best thing someone can do to make the right purchase, the right quality, to make sure it's genuine, and to make sure the price is good is develop a relationship with a highly respected dealer. You want a dealer that is respected by his peers and has won awards. We have had our materials named the best gold and silver materials in the industry by the Numismatic Literary Guild. And I would recommend to people that go with someone who price checks with other dealers and has expertise in the area like I do and my company does. Dr. Mike Fulgens is recognized as America's gold expert by the U.S. government. Contact Mike and his team of professionals at Universal Coin and Bullion to own your gold and silver coins now. Call 1-800-UCB-GOLD.